0: But this is a sermon that I am able to completely drop the conclusion, which that's pretty rare with So we're going through some parables. We're going to be looking at Luke 14 if you want to turn over there. And we're going to look at some parables, and they teach themselves. And I have like a big wrap up that can totally be dropped I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you all, uh, to get the chance to, to see you. I was here. Four or five years ago, I can't remember exactly how many. And so there are some faces that I recognize, and there are practically zero names that I recognize. Because my wife is the way I remember y'all's names. And she was not here. And so uh, you'll have to bear with me. Uh, and that uh, There's been a couple times already this morning that I'm some, someone's coming up, and I recognize you, and I cannot remember uh, your name, and, and I'm pretty sure I remember where you're from, but we'll here, how I remember you. So if you'll be patient with me, I'd appreciate that. But I I brought my family along with me this time. I didn't last time, and that is always dangerous uh, because um, when I'm by myself, it's just dangerous. So I'm glad that you can see my family and see see the other half or maybe a little bit more than half of me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the work in Albany and... Uh, this is the new Google driving uh, view, and so that door on the left in front of the, the vans, that's the, 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 the entrance to where we meet. We rent some office space, and we had a really great, nice, big, pretty sign, and then the hairdressers came in and put a bigger sign above ours. and So now our sign looks small, but that's okay. Uh, we, we meet there. It's uh, I think it's a really nice facility. We have parking like you would never believe it's easily found. Uh, uh, it's, I'm going to have a picture of the, the the map, and it's just right off the interstate. Everyone knows can know where to get to it. It's nice and easy. People with RVs have space to park way in the back, so so it's a really great place for us. We will outgrow it, Lord willing, as we as we grow, but uh, well, we're not near there yet. The the price is great, and the the location is working really well for us. So we're happy with it, and it is nice. Uh, where do I aim this? This way? That way? Do I have to turn it on? Because it was working. There we go. Alright, someone might be clicking. I'll do this, and you click. This is everyone that we worship with, and uh, I, I don't know if you're going to know any of these names. Uh, we just had a young couple from Texas move up, the Koguses, and there's some connections, and some people, that they knew some people who knew some people. That's how they found us. Uh, but this is this is who we are. Uh, the there were really two families that got the church started there and one family uh, moved had to move away for work they had come for work and so one family moved away and then uh, sister Vicki Fetty who was just, just a powerhouse she was she was our evangelist for years and years uh, just finding all sorts of people and and sharing the gospel with them she was a great great lady and she passed away about three years ago now so that was sad but this is who we have we have uh, a few children. Right now, uh, my three kids, and there's two other little little kids um, younger than mine. And that's all we have for children right now. Uh, but it's enough so that when people are coming and visiting, uh, they can look and see that that uh, we, we kind of have a spread of the ages and different types of people. and So that's good. Is it, is it the forward and backward button? Or do I hit another button? I don't have any idea what I just hit. All right. So, we laugh, and then we cry. We work together on things. I'm just trying to find some pictures of who we are and what we're doing together. Lots of crying, as you can tell. Uh, and it's just a nice... Some of us are ugly, and some of, a lot more of us are pretty, and that's the nice thing. Let's see if this one works. No, it's all right. Yeah, there we go. So, there's just... We we have a spread of people. We have some sisters from Nigeria. one lady from uh, from uh, from uh, I can't remember Belize, but she's been in the states for so long. So we have a little bit of international uh, to us, but mostly people who have been living in the Northeast or who have come to the Northeast for work. Um, this is my family. Uh, see, the pictures of my family are vital especially when my family's not here. But you're going to get to meet my family, but so that you can work on their names. We have Jack and Heather and Alice and Thomas. Jack just turned 10, Alice is 4, and Thomas is 7. So this is a fairly recent photo. Jack likes to invent things like remote-controlled abacus. Thomas likes to build Lego monsters from Lovecraft, and Alice was making skis one day with rubber bands and giant tinker toys. And uh, this is us posing for Sunday pictures. And that's out back where we live. We do get a lot of snow. Uh, It's not like what most people think. It's not a horrible, you know, awful snow. I think actually visiting in January can be a lot of fun. February is where it gets a little bit old and depressing. But there's a good amount of snow, so if there's anybody who likes to ski... Uh, the Adirondacks are a couple hours north of us, and there's some mountains up there and, and some mountains in Vermont that people like to go skiing in. I'm not I I'm not into downhill skiing, but Tim Wells that I worship with is, and he'll he'll hook you up on where you would want to go. And so it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, in the evangelism work that I try to do, this is just the Google photograph of one of the bus stops. It's on the same road that our church meets. It's Central Ave. It's a pipeline between Albany and Schenectady. And this uh, bus stop, and then there's one on the other side of the street, is about as busy as I can find uh, bus stop areas. And we have a mall on one side, and then just the big box stores on the other side. So we have people coming in for work or to go shopping. And what I like about evangelizing by a bus stop is uh, they know they don't have to talk to me, and they also know a bus is coming in five minutes. So they might be willing to do five minutes of conversation. Or they're willing to take a piece of paper because they have nothing to do and they'll read it. And so, Whereas uh, I found, not that door knocking sh- is useless, but door knocking, you are definitely invading someone else's space. This is a public space, but it's not like a park where I want to be by myself on my bench. They know people are coming and going. They'll, they'll say, no, I don't want anything. And then they'll often get a flyer anyways because they want something to look at. And so I try to put a flyer w- with a good paragraph of Bible on the back with just some questions that uh, isn't necessarily even teaching the gospel, but just trying to say, this is, this is what we do. We read, and we talk, and, we, and we're discussing the text, and then the other side just has meeting times and other classes that we have going. And uh, I, I think that this is a good way. Uh, my, my brother and a number of guys who work in Manhattan can hand out 500 flyers on a street in an hour, and I'm lucky to get 30 uh, in, in, in an hour. And that's, that's okay, but uh, you can get some conversations with people, and, and, and that's worked really well. Another thing that we have done is we've had, I don't know the correct term, junk mail is really what it ends up being, but it's nice junk mail. We have an advertisement about us on the front and then information on the back. And then there's a girl up in our area who doesn't worship with us, and she knows how to make things look pretty. And so she had designed these uh, pretty Bible verse Uh, uh, cards, and so we got permission from her. And so the first mailer is just information on us, and the second and third are pretty so that if you don't really want to go to church with us, but you like Bible or you like pretty things, you can hang on to it, and then all our information is on the back. And uh, we would send them out to different neighborhoods. In some neighborhoods we get a lot of response. Maybe we wouldn't personally, maybe no phone calls or visits, but um, one went to a neighborhood that had members at uh, another Church of Christ uh, from the area that some of our sisters have come from. And they said, what's this we're getting in the mail? Well, this looks really nice. And so it, it was getting some reactions. And my my hope was, if you throw away the blue one, because it's clearly an ad, maybe you'll hold on to the prettier ones a little bit longer. Um, we had worked up a pretty large uh, bank account and uh, had, had no need for, for money, really. We're renting... We're a small group, and so we just put everything we could into advertising. So we've dried that up. I don't know how long it'll be until we get to run the postcards again, uh, but we felt that that was good. We, I I know how to get it ordered from UPS and printed, and we can get it running pretty easily at this point. But that was, that was I thought that that was nice, and uh, we did get a little bit of response. Uh, a y- little over a year ago, Mark Chalmers, um, who had been reading the Bible and and done tremendous amount of repenting in his life was thinking you know I probably ought to find a church and it came in the mail the next day and he forced himself to come to worship with us that next Sunday even though he was terrified getting a random ad in the mail of, of going to some church that you've never been to takes a lot of guts And, uh, and so, but and he was baptized about two or three weeks later and he's been worshiping with us ever since so so I, I was really, really just so happy for him um hit black? Okay, that was the last slide. I thought I had a picture of the map, but that's okay. Um, Albany is, I call it all Albany because I've, I've lived enough places to realize that nobody cares. You know, if, it, if, it's da- if you say you're from Dallas, um, outside of Texas, I don't want to offend anybody here, but if you say you're from Fort Worth, What does that mean? And then if you say Dallas, everyone has a general idea of what you're talking about. Or if you say some suburb of Dallas, and you might be an hour and a half out of Dallas, but it really means Dallas. I call it all Albany. Schenectady is probably 22 miles from Albany, and and, uh, Troy is just on the other side of the river. But the metro area for the whole complex is a little over a million. Um, The actual population of Albany is only 90,000. So that's just to give you a sense on how regional it, it considers it. It's a nice region. It's uh, fairly large for upstate New York. New York City is a foreign country. New York State is just like anywhere else. Uh, It's a massive farming state. Uh, We have rednecks with jacked-up trucks and rebel flags where I live. So it's it's very much. Everyone has four wheelers uh, and snowmobiles. That might be a little different. But uh, it. I live thirty minutes out of town in very very country area where you can get. People raising pigs and, and, and beef. And so it can be very normal if you're thinking that I live in downtown Manhattan. I do not live in downtown Manhattan. It's a very different kind of a place. But there's a good uh, little over a million people, and we're just trying to see what we can do to, to, to reach people. Uh, there's a growing, it might have stagnated lately, but there's a growing tech industry. They're really, really feeding that. The Cogus has actually moved up because of tech work uh, at one of the chip foundries, microchip foundries that's north end of town. There's the medical industry is really big. Albany Med uh, is a college, and it's apparently apparently it's one of the better medical colleges. A lot of people want to go to Albany Med to get worked on, and we've had a number of people come in uh, who've become PAs, nurses. Uh, uh, Mark Chalmers is working on um, being a doctor. Um, Brandon Keys, who just recently moved away over the summer, has has finished his uh, surgeon's residency with us. So it's a good good area. There's some schools, but it's a good medical school region and a lot of tech jobs uh, are supposed to be there. So if you know people, if you know the younger generation that's looking for work and might want to uh, be, be helpful at a congregation, I don't ever like to say just showing up is enough, right? But when you're in a congregation of 25 and you're working 50 hours a week and it's hard to just show up, showing up is a big, big help. And then when you comment and you're excited to be with the congregation. That's just wonderful. So if you know people who are looking for work, uh, maybe maybe younger couples who are trying to get their first jobs or things like that, It's a, I like it. It's a great place, and uh, there's a lot of Christians who will be helped by that. We have a lot of people from Texas, actually, who come up in the fall to look at the leaves change color, and they fall down, and then they're bare. And I don't know if you know what that's like around here, but you can come up and you can see that. And we have our yearly uh, leaf Peepers who come up, and uh, it's so great to see those uh, two Texas families in particular come up every year, and it's it's a lot of fun. And so, if you wanna if you wanna come up for something like that, that that can also be encouraging for uh, uh, for us as, as as we get the chance to worship with you. So, I always like to to put that in for you as well. What I want to look at is talking about uh, Jesus in Luke fourteen. That's that's what we're going to be studying. If you have any questions, I, I feel like I just kind of have to zip through talking about, uh, about the work. Uh, a little bit of the evangelism that I get in, involved in. Oh, I, I completely forgot. Um, absolutely worth mentioning. Uh, Simon Harris and his family moved to work with us uh, about almost three years ago now. And so we have two evangelists, two preachers working uh, really to... It's not because 25 people is more people than I can preach to, but rather the fact that we only have 25 people, and we need to help get the the word spread and out there. And so in an area of a million and two, to have two preachers uh, isn't a lot. And so Simon came, and uh, from the day I moved up there, I was looking for someone who might want to work with me, or at least work with Albany. And uh, Simon uh, came uh, three years ago. He's been a really great help. Up until he came, I was the second oldest guy at church, and I know I'm not that old. And the older guy, the guy older than me was only eight years older than me, so we were very young in in, in our male leadership. And Simon, who's not old, but he's older than us, uh, he came and he's been a really big help. His family just came with a lot of wisdom, and uh, that's been a big help. And so, um, if you have questions about the that that two preacher arrangement, two evangelist arrangement that we're working on. I'd be happy to talk about that too. Alright, so now looking at Luke 14, uh, we're going to look at the stories all the way through verse 25. I see a big change in Mark in Luke 14 24 and 25. Now great crowds accompanied him is, is, is a big change of scenery. So this whole section, starting in verse 1, is he's going to the house of a ruler of the Pharisees uh, and having dinner. And the dinner conversation that we have here makes it really interesting. And I'm just surprised at, at the way Jesus speaks. What we see here is that we see a lot of the, what people are interested in. Uh, what do people want? What are they doing? Uh, what sort of things are they avoiding? How are they fitting within the social norms? And then Jesus comes in with a sledgehammer and breaks every rule and acts. If we were there, we would probably say, and I have a hard time not saying it now, Jesus was, was rude. He says things that, in that context, were rude to people. Now, I don't think he's wrong, and and I think that you'll agree with that, but he breaks all the rules uh, to to get these people to learn something that they had not been thinking about. And if we don't break through our own thick skulls, we will not think about these things either. I'd like to get to the idea of uh, the word trappings. It's a key word that someone threw at me a while ago, and I just absolutely love it. And this idea of uh, who I am is... uh, based on the outward uh, exhibition of myself. What kind of clothes, what kind of car, what kind of degree, where I come from. Maybe the fact that I hide that I actually am from this place, but since I lived here now it seems like I can be this kind of a person. Just all that outward show of, of, of being the defining character trait. And Jesus, I think, tries to break through that. And so looking here at the first bit of... We're going to look at just the first six verses on the Sabbath. When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man who came with dropsy and Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees. He doesn't respond to the guy. Right. That's usually what's going on. He's responding to the troublemakers. Saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But They remained silent. And he took him and healed him. And sent him away that phrase he took him is is curious to me it almost sounds like he took him aside uh, or maybe he took him to himself it could be it could be it's a room and he takes the broken man to him to, to fix him or almost in the context of there's this guy and they don't know what to do I almost wonder if he takes him aside and heals him for his own benefit because he's more invo- interested in teaching to the Pharisees rather than giving them that show. I don't know, but he takes him and he heals him and he sends him away. The man has almost nothing to do with the group. And he says to them, which of you having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. They're watching him carefully. Why are they watching him carefully? Because they really love Jesus and they want to hear everything he has to say is not the answer. We know why they're watching him. He's responding to them. He's challenging them. He's introducing the hard questions. They were all prepared to complain and set up for failure and say, this is why you're wrong. And he was just breaking through that. They were going to complain about it. They were going to argue over the technicalities of why this was wrong. They were going to prove themselves right. They were ready for that. But he spoke up to the situation. He came up to the situation. He challenged it with his own questions. And it was a heated, intense situation, and he went ahead and did the right thing anyways. He didn't just try to teach and say, I'll heal you later, to, you know, just meet me out back. He did it right there and then, even though it was rough. And he didn't avoid the situation, which I think is what he does in this entire uh, meal. And so the question that we need to really ask is, are we closing ourselves coming into this, right? Because they, they were set up. We're going to use this guy, he's going to do it, and then we're going to nail Jesus. And we've got him. And they were set up, they were closed, they, I know what the answer is because I heard something before. And so whatever Jesus says, I know what the answer is already. And they prepped themselves with answers before Jesus started saying things. This is The image I have, right? I know what I'm going to say when he says such and such. Jesus didn't ask the questions they expected him to ask. When he asked them a question, or when he had that concluding statement, they had no answer. Right, Jesus came into it with this 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 readiness that was that was ready to consider and think. They had no room to consider the other side. They had no room to consider whether the guy with dropsy was uncomfortable or not. <laughs> they, they were just so self-absorbed. Uh, so if you and, and then the last thing that Jesus does is he points out their hypocrisy, right, talking about this, if you have the ox that's fallen in, wouldn't you work on that? So they have the technical answers on what is right to do on the Sabbath, and then they have untechnical behavior that is completely in the opposite way. They're like, well, well, how how do you know I would do that? Did you see me this morning doing that? You know, that image of, well, they just mumble it through. Because they have the right answer, but they haven't thought about all the things that that answer would apply to. And the fact that their own behavior most likely was going against it. And, and Jesus is just going right against it. We, we know about the hypocrisy and the partiality, right? Now, this was a sin of donkey versus dropsy guy, is, is the way Jesus is illustrating it. But we can see that, that the way they were probably treating that man who was sick, we can imagine that. Welcoming somebody in but not welcoming somebody else in the idea that we are so busy thinking we're right And we have our answers that we don't see our hypocrisy and foolishness. We don't see the opportunity to heal this guy Because we're so bent out of shape about what is the definition of the Sabbath That's how jesus starts this whole dinner party. So it's off to a great start right now in verse 7 He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them. So he, he, he schools everybody, and then he sits back, and, and dinner kind of c- keeps going on, and he sees how everyone's behaving. And so this is addressed to everyone in the room that is invited. So that would maybe not the host, probably not the servants. So that's everybody, right? When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to be taken to the lowest place. And when you're invited, go sit in the lowest place so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. I love this parable because it doesn't matter if you like Jesus or not. This is great. It's just one of the moments in the Bible where you could say, well, what, what good is the Bible? You can turn to this parable and say, look, you can learn from this. Whether you think Jesus is the Christ or not, he's saying a truth that's very easy to understand that does speak to the reality of the spiritual truth that. Self-exaltation is a waste of time. and going to pull you down lower in the long run. I like this parable for that reason alone. But also in this situation, he's seeing them. He's seeing how they're behaving. They've got those those, 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 those sly moves. Well, I'll just kind of sneak around this way. And the guy's getting up to his coffee. And I'll just take his seat. And then he won't know. And I've got the good spot now. He sees how they're behaving. And the, I, I have this image this strong image of children racing for the favorite toilet stall in the bathroom. Right? This is the dumbest thing that I can think of. Like That's my toilet, is, is what that is. That's what this is. How embarrassing when someone catches you racing to your favorite toilet, race into the best seat when you know you don't deserve it. But you want to sit in it so that you can act like you deserve it and look like you deserve it and be a part of those who do deserve it and you're just racing for a toilet seat. It's embarrassing to see adults act this way. Shameful. It, they thought they were being secretive about it, and I doubt they were. Our, our selfish behavior is loud and clear when we're clamoring for attention and speaking to be heard and always the loudest, and, and I've got an idea and I want to be heard about this. And what we end up doing is just trying to show how great we think we are. Here they are invited to Mr. Important Guy's dinner and they spend the entire time trying to show that they are the Mr. Important Guy. Is that what we're doing here? Th- this is not you know, Daniel the Important Guy day. We're here because we love God. And a lot of our behavior may speak otherwise. And I don't know what we're doing that that might, that might be like that. Are we just showing up to show that we're here, that we can take this? Are we trying to get the best seat in the back or in the front? I've been at places where the best seat was the front. I think that's rare. But are we fighting for the best seat, trying to speak the loudest in the class, trying to, trying to be the most important, or, or for all of us guys, trying to get behind the lectern? Because when you get to stand in front of everybody, no matter how short you actually are, now you get to be taller and bigger than everybody. I have a hard time with that. If I stand behind this thing, it means I'm better than you. No, it doesn't, Daniel. But it's hard to not think that way and and want that sort of place, right? And I I see them acting that way. And the big question is, are you you hurting others to be big yourself? And do you think that no one's going to see that? Do you think that no one's going to be hurt by that? Do you think that in the long run, no one's going to say, you need to stop that, Dan, because that's ugly? or they or maybe not give me opportunities to speak anymore because of the attitude I have that's going to be that needs to be stopped and these guys were were just lifting themselves up do you think that your self exaltation is going to stand jesus says no you will be humbled and so first he insults everybody in the way they think about spiritual things and then he insults almost everybody everybody who's invited and so to make it really good verse 12 Then he said to the man who had invited him. This is where in all the social rules he he crosses. This is this is in regular terms. This is rude. Just in regular terms. I don't think Jesus is wrong. I think he's speaking the truth to people who needed to hear it. But let's just be honest here. He says in verse 12 to the man who had invited him. When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends. They're all sitting there. Don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. And I hear crickets. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He just slams it. Out of nowhere it seems there must have been there must have been a lot going on for Jesus to look at the room and say this is the right time to say this kind of thing and he does don't invite your friends he says that host inviting the high to be high right if you could say well I had a professional ball player have dinner with me you could tell that story for years I had a president have dinner with me. Of course, the next question is, which one? Even if it was one you didn't like, you'd brag. You know you would. And so that's what he's doing. He's inviting high to be high and to show off and and to have, not only can he invite high, he can invite many. Many. You know, I made a pot of chili big enough for 500 people. That's a cool story. But then what does that then turn into? Are you bragging about it? And are you lifting yourself up? And is that what this is about? And that's why Jesus says, don't invite those kind of people. Invite the pathetic ones who need the chili. Don't, don't just invite your friends who are going to pay you back. He says, Jesus says, basically, this dinner is so that you'll get dinner. You're just serving yourself is what he's saying. And are you serving food not so that they can eat, but to show how good a job you can do at serving food? This is one of those moments where I think that the food network and home and garden network and all those make your house beautiful networks just ruined hospitality for us. Cheese and crackers was fine for a good old long while. And now, I know someone who said, we'd really love to have you over, but we've got to get new rugs. No, I think it was carpeting. They needed new carpeting. And it's not like they had, their house flooded. It was a new house. They were just kind of redoing stuff. Never, I never saw their house. I worshipped with them. They just had that image of it's got to be at some sort of thing. And Jesus is saying, no, it, you don't need the special meal. and You don't need the special people. That's not what it's about. And so if you're serving that way. You're really serving yourself. You're showing yourself off. You're meeting your own needs. Or maybe it's that service of my, and I've heard people talk this kind of way, my spiritual gift is pizza. But everyone I go to church with is gluten-free. What am I going to do? I can't serve anybody. What, you know what you need to do is find a way to serve people instead of serve yourself. and Stop calling, I like to make pizza as a hobby, your ministry or your spiritual gift. Mow their lawn because they can't get outside and mow their lawn. Or make them food because mama's sick and all the dad can do is mow the lawn. <laughs> and you need to meet the needs that those individuals have. Otherwise, I feel like it's 1 John three seventeen. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Are you just serving somebody the way you want to serve? Are you just doing the kind of Thing that you think is fun and enjoyable and just assuming that that's what they want and that's what they need. Again, it just kind of gets back into that showing off here. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they'll inherit the earth. And then that section at the beginning of chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount of doing your deeds in order to be seen by others. Praying on the street corner. He says when you are giving, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I like that that one in particular because that is an act of service and, and meeting the needs either of you know giving to the lord or giving to somebody who has a need and you are just getting the job done and you're bringing the casserole and you don't make a big deal about it. I know a guy, he was a great guy. He really wanted to serve. He was a popular guy and everyone loved him. And if he did something for you, then I th- he was starting to get really embarrassed because he, was a, he knew he was a really popular guy. and that, So he started leaving casserole dishes on the door and, and you know, ring the buzzer and running. And that was what made it fun for him. Uh, and he just, he'd just do that kind of thing. I know another old guy. His wife was out of town, but he knew that brother so-and-so needed help, so he's going to make soup. So he started to pour a pot of water because that's, you know, soup. you got to warm the water up. He didn't know what else to do, so he put a lid on it and took it over. And just sat and chatted with the guy for an hour. You know, he, he didn't know how to cook, but he brought the hot water and, and visited with the guy. Because that's what it's all about. It's actually providing real service. So, Jesus, y'all ain't spiritual. You're wrong. And you fools who are invited, you're a mess. And you know what, host? You're doing this entire thing wrong. So, you know, <laughs> this is where I like to, to break. All right, let's think about this. He insulted them. In in just about every way he can. And I don't know if he is being insulting, but he is saying the things that shame them. He's pointing out their own shame. And that's, I think, the big difference between throwing insults out and holding up a mirror. I think that that's really what Jesus is doing. I don't think he's just insulting them, but he's holding a mirror up to what they're doing. And then you get the verse 15 guy. This is my favorite. When one of the, so the crickets are going, right? It's just the awkward silence. When one of those who were reclining at table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who eat bread of the kingdom of God. And then I insert the... <laughs> that, that awkward laughter. The guy can't take the silence. He knows everyone's uncomfortable. He's like, Heaven, you know? <laughs> That'd be great. And Jesus addresses that one too. He's just, Jesus, come on. <laughs> it's a little bit awkward here. <laughs> and see, that's why I see Jesus. He's just piling right into the awkward situation. This is wrong. This ain't right. You are not doing this right. And that and and he sums all of them up like no one's looking at him. They're looking at their shoes. And he's like, well, let's talk about heaven for a little bit. You know, just trying to avoiding the important stuff. Every single move. So Jesus, in verse 15, sorry, 16, Jesus said to him, and you know he's talking loud enough for everybody. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And the other said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Get out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, and the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And the next line is about the crowds. So That's the end right there. I'm sure it's not the end of the dinner. Maybe it was the end of the dinner. So that's what he does. He turns to that man and he tells him and everyone in that room, you are trying to avoid what is right. And he gives them a parable of people who are avoiding what is right. Just powerful. It's important to see that in verse 16, he's giving a banquet. A great banquet, and he invited many in 17 at the time for it. He sends the guys, the guy out to invite the invited. So we got to, this is an RSVP situation, right? In October, I'm going to do the big cook-off. Now it's, it's the right day. It's October 15th, It's the time for it. And he sends them out. It is ready. And so it's different from, hey, it's Friday night, and I got a bunch of hamburgers on the grill. Do you want to come over? No, I just bought five cows. Or was it five yokes, so ten. So it's, it's not like he surprised them in this. He invited them. And in that time, life happens. But their excuses of no, I can't because I just bought this. No, I can't because I just I need to check this out. No, I can't because I, I have a new wife. It's not like he surprised everybody. He invited. And then he sends out to bring in those invited. And that really fits the context for what Jesus is doing with the Pharisees, right? Y'all have been invited since before you were born. Y'all have been the invited. And now I am inviting you to come to what you have been invited for. How many people were looking forward to Jesus' day, in Jesus' day? They were ready for that invitation. These are the people that were not, right? And so when they don't come, he has the, 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 the poor and the crippled and the lame. And then he has that statement about they who were invited shall not taste it, it, They're just cut off and they're completely out. And we see how their selfishness took them away from that. Their minds were set, and I, I see this summing up so many of what was going on in the previous uh, parables. Their minds were set, right? They know how they're going to answer Jesus with this miracle thing. Well, these guys' minds were set. They were unwilling to consider anything new. This banquet is uninteresting because I have cows. They were selfish for their power, right? They wanted the right sort of ste- seats. They wanted the right position. They wanted to lift themselves up, and so because of that Focus on getting themselves to be high, they had no interest in listening to Jesus serve up dinner. Think about the meal of words Jesus would be serving if you could have a dinner with him. They were so proud of what they did, uh, inviting all these people in to have this banquet, having the trappings, showing that he was right, showing that he was the big guy because he can invite this big man and this big man, that he was not willing to do you stoop down to listen to Jesus, or do you step up to listen to Jesus? Is it both when you're a Pharisee and you don't know it? Right. He thinks he needs to come down to talk to Jesus, and the rest of us are thinking we've got to look up to talk to Jesus. So those originally invited, they had no interest in the banquet. And I think that that's the key point. They didn't want it. And like that verse, uh, what, what verse was he in? That verse 15 guy? There we go. Like that verse 15 God bless his heart. They just want to avoid it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm working on myself. Uh, I'm going to recoil from my own shame that Jesus is pointing out not sit and listen to it. I'm going to try to change the conversation and go on to something else. I'm going to going to focus on these other things. Whereas Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That shame was good. That uncomfortable feeling would be profitable for them if they let it do its work. But they weren't interested in the banquet that Jesus had to offer them. And so they had a chance to grow. And it looks like, at least from the way the story plays out, that they just weren't going to grow. How much time do I have? Not much? All right. And this is the point where I drop the conclusion. See? I knew it. That's all right. I'm going to put this one last slide up. And this, I think that the parables speak enough for themselves. But this is an idea that I've been thinking about, and, and a good sister has has talked about this word. Well, I think that brother so and so is just, just wrapped up in the trappings of life. She started saying that a couple times. Not necessarily brother so-and-so, but I think that that kind of mentality is, is you're just wrapped up in the trappings of life and you don't understand what's, what's actually important. I, that, I think that that is so powerful and so moving. And that idea of. Now that I've done this, I am a man. Or I, I uh, I'm not. A, now that I own a home, that means I'm successful unless I do this sort of deed. I'm not there. But once I've done it, regardless of the character of my guts, apparently I'm a mature adult. I think that that's the kind of people that Jesus was dealing with. They're racing for toilets and not thinking about the importance of having good character and having good life. Um, I think it's kind of bad to quote Ahab, but Ahab says it best, let him who straps on his armor not boast as him who takes it off. I love that line. Bad king, but a great line. And this idea that I have made it, or I am done, or, on the, on the other end of it, if I just do one or two more things, then I've made it and I am something. And some people, they think they're done way too early and they stop growing. The other end of the spectrum is they think that I'll never get there and they keep working, they keep working, they keep working, and they don't, they're, they're still working for the wrong kinds of things. And I think that Jesus, in dealing with these people at this dinner party, was dealing with that kind of mindset. I invite a lot of people, I'm a big guy. I sat only three seats down from the Mr. Important person, I'm a big guy. Done. And they can rest on that for the rest of their life. And Jesus is saying that, man, guys, that's just, that's just silly. Don't live with the hypocrisy of thinking you know the answer before the situation happens. That's with that healing with that man, right? Think about the situation. Don't walk into it with blinders on. Don't fight to, to lift yourself up selfishly and show how p- big of a person you are, that clamoring for something that you just don't deserve. Or trying to show off how big of a person you are by the kind of meal or the kind of service that you have to offer just to show everybody, I am big. And Jesus addresses all those things. And then he says in conclusion, when God invites you to dinner, you show up when you have the chance to read when you have the chance to learn you show up with that wedding garment on ready cuz that's the only only thing that's worth working on all right well i thank you for the chance to speak with you and uh